0: guardian angels, and patron saints, pray for us. Well, I want to wish you all a happy new year as we begin our, our new liturgical year on the first Sunday of Advent here today. And hear this call to be prepared. The season of Advent, which begins our liturgical our liturgical year, is one of preparation, of expectation, of expectation. Uh, even delightful expectation, because of what we know being promised to us is coming at last. One of the things that I think is most important in that process of preparation is what Saint Paul speaks of in our second reading today: to put off the deeds of darkness and to put on the the light of life. And one of the ways that we do this, of course, is through our celebration of the sacraments, but primarily. Through that call to repentance that is the sacrament of reconciliation. And so I wanted to invite the parish to participate in our upcoming um, sacramental serv- uh, reconciliation service, excuse me, taking place December 14th on a Saturday morning, 10 to 12. We'll have a number of different priests who will hear confessions in, in English or Spanish and offer all of us a chance to take advantage of that, of that beautiful sacrament. Something that I was thinking about recently is I read a, a beautiful uh, book. That was given to me by some friends entitled uh, heroism and genius how catholic priests helped build and can help rebuild western civilization in this particular chapter that i was reading just just yesterday it was about the sacrament of confession and how influential that was in the history not just of the church but but of western civilization as you may know As it was practiced in the early centuries of the church, confession was something that was not exactly widely practiced. The ancient methods of confession were quite burdensome, oftentimes very embarrassing, and people put it off even longer than they do now. (laughs) In fact, many times uh, people waited to be baptized because the practice of confession was so rare that, that the forgiveness of sins was experienced primarily through baptism. So you would wait until you were on your deathbed oftentimes, hoping that you didn't die before the priest could get there to baptize you. And if there was a chance to go to confession, it was often only at at, at one or two points in your life that that would be offered. And this particular practice was often done not just in the confessional, but front and center during service. That if you wanted to be forgiven for your sins, you would be expected to stand out in front of the assembly and enumerate the things that you wanted to be forgiven for. So understandably, it didn't uh, take up a lot of time of the church in the the early centuries because people were very reluctant to do so. Now, that produced some pretty abundant fruits in people's lives. If you were committing habitual sins or were habitually greedy or particularly sins that people in the community already knew about, To stand in front and to say, I wish to be forgiven for these things and I sincerely amend my life and don't want to do them anymore, oftentimes that was a very effective way to make a break with those things that held people captive. Nonetheless, that level of of devotion and humility uh, was not widespread. So it was during the 6th and 7th centuries that many of the monasteries in Ireland were filled with monks who were then returning to continental Europe to evangelize and build other monasteries through the example of great saints like St. Saint Columbanus and, and others like him. And these Irish monks practiced a form of confession that was, that was different than the ancient methods. It was practically what we experience in confession today. Individual meetings with a priest in secret... Bound by the seal of confession, in which the priest could never reveal anything that he heard from someone in the confessional. With personal counsel and advice given to that individual. And then, because these monks were men of great holiness, also a sense like, these men are living lives of great austerity. And whatever penance they would impose on a a penitent, oftentimes they were already living out themselves. So this became a practice of the sacrament of confession that eventually spread throughout the whole church and is the reason we have the sacrament of confession as we experience it today. What this particular author described was how influential this was, not just on parishes or churches, but the whole culture. Gradually, a shift began to take place where people didn't identify their personal moral responsibility so much with their tribe, or their family, or their city, but as an individual. That I personally stand before God, that I, in my conscience, have access to God's voice, and that he can speak to me, and direct me, and give me inspiration and light as to the way I should walk in my life these conversations happening one by one for decades and then centuries began to exert a sanctifying effect on the culture. The author says, the effects of these secret meetings, these confessions, rippled and surged throughout society invigorating the men and women who would be building the new civilization. They strengthened marriage, bonded fathers and sons and mothers and daughters, reconciled bloodthirsty rivals, and prevented or mitigated wars, because kings and lords and dukes were also going to confession and seeking guidance from priests over how they should rule their kingdoms or how they should lead their armies. The roots and resolutions of the small and great social conflicts do not occur in parliaments or in palaces, but in the secret recesses of men's souls where all injustice arises. It's on this secret battlefield where the struggle with temptation to sin, which is the enemy above all of a truly human civilization, rages it is here in the confessional that the keystones of a just social order are laid or destroyed the practice of private confession burned onto the soul of christians a principle that is not native to other influential civilizations of humanity the individual man woman or child is above the tribe or nation or state. Because men were willing to spend hours on end in huge city cathedrals or tiny rural chapels, amid the coldness of winter and the heat of summer, attentive to the woes of both king and beggar, listening compassionately in order to make known to his people their salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, the concept of the dignity of the individual hit home. It became clear through this one on one dialogue that God, through His representative, loved each person as an individual, regardless of race or rank. The Western understanding of human dignity was being forged in a way that neither all of our empty philosophy or the storming of the Bastilles of this world could ever have achieved, for all were equal. As they knelt. End quote. In other words. What we take for granted. The dignity and freedom. Of each individual person. As a member of society. And as a member of the kingdom of heaven. Was forged precisely. In the willingness of people to confess their sins. In this setting. So. As important as it is for us individually and as a parish, so too we do a service to the world, to our culture, to continue to assert that, yes, God is attentive to every human life, that God loves us individually and unspeakably beautifully because he knows us better than we know ourselves, and that we encounter him through this gift of his mercy. So I invite you all to mark your calendars. 10 o'clock on Saturday, December 14th, to be able to take advantage of this beautiful sacrament and be prepared in response to this call that our Lord issues to us today. Stay awake, for you do not know on which day your Lord will come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.